Welcome to Turning Conscience into Action, the Earth Charter Podcast. Join Miriam Vilela, Earth Charter International Executive Director, in her fascinating conversations with great thinkers, scholars, and activists from around the world who are working in the fields of sustainability, ethics, education, and social transformation. Our purpose is to generate new insights on how to face current global challenges and inspire informed action. Thank you so much. Today we are going to uh, welcome Rosine McKeown, who is joining us from the USA. Rosaline is the author of the Into the Classroom, which is a practical guide for student teaching. And uh, she's the lead author of, e of the ESD Toolkit that was published in the year 2000 and the year 2002 again. She's also the lead author of the UNESCO Education for Sustainable Development source book that was published in 2012. And she's the current uh, coordinator of uh, the online global forum on ESD for teacher educators. Rosalind, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me to be here. Um, I really enjoy being part of this International Earth Charter Education Initiative. And so it's delightful to talk to um, you and the Earth Charter International family. Thank you, Rosalind. I would like to start by asking you to share with us um, a little bit about your journey as an educator. If you could tell us when and how did you start uh, your interests in, in education in the different stages and moves uh, that you have had in your journey as an educator. Yes. Well, I was fortunate to study geography at the university because it is a disciplinary bridge between the natural and the social sciences, both of which are necessary for studying sustainability. And while I was in my graduate studies, I got to be a graduate teaching fellow, and I found that I really enjoyed teaching. So after that, I also picked up a master's in education. <clears throat> um, I found myself in lots of different roles across my career. I was a high school teacher, a researcher, writer, university professor, research center director. I also ended my career as a program specialist at UNESCO headquarters during the UN Decade of Education for Sustainable Development. And I think one thing that I did across my career was is that um, I always linked two levels, the research and policy level with on the ground education and our educational research informed our on the ground efforts and the ground on the ground efforts informed our our research and policy levels so there was a constant feedback between the two um, if we were doing something on the ground that su suggested we need to do research in a new area or re revisit a research area, we did that. So I, I really liked the combination of the two. Mm, that's quite interesting. Rosalind, would you share with us uh, one of your most impactful experience as, a, as an educator? Oh, yes, those aha moments as, a, as an educator. And we have a number of them across our career um, as we professionally self-develop. Uh, let me share one with you. <clears throat> when I was a new high school Spanish teacher, <coughs> excuse me, I was talking about waterborne diseases and how they were particularly hard on children and elderly. And this was a class of primarily freshmen. It was Spanish one. These were freshmen in high school. So they were about 14 years of age. 
And with this group, I used the astounding fact that globally every day, 6,000 children die from waterborne diseases. Now this is a startling and jaw-dropping fact. So one of my students raised her hand and asked, why didn't a family save up money and buy a Brita water filter to prevent their children from getting ill? At the time, Brita was doing a lot of television advertisements showing a device that you clipped on the end of your faucet and it filtered your water for you when you turned on the tap. And I told this, this child, <laughs> this wonderful teenager, that it was a great question and that about half of the world's population lived on less than $2 a day and that one in a quarter billion people lived on less than water, $1 a day. And given those incomes, it was very hard to save up enough to purchase a water filter. And furthermore, much of the water had to be carried from a stream or a pond or a well. And the Brita water filter was designed to fit on a faucet. The whole room grew quiet. In that exchange, the student realized that she did not understand the context of the other countries. And I, as a teacher, realized there was so much about her background, knowledge of the world, that I, as a Spanish teacher, had little or no way of addressing, of assessing. It was a huge oh moment for both of us. It was very informative to me as a teacher. Just an issue of a different context, you know, helping yes. uh, not only the student but also teachers to see things from different lenses depending on the context. Very interesting. For how many years did you did you teach uh, directly in the schools? Um, I taught for two years, and I taught um, geography and uh, earth science and Spanish. And um, can you share with us about your, uh, how your interests evolved in the field of uh, education? Ah, uh, yes. Our disciplinary roots always influence how we enter education. And then other influences begin to take over, other events in the world. So I was interested in geography education because I, was, um, I had studied geography. And when I became employed at a university in 1990, the job came with being a director of an environmental education center. Suddenly, I had to learn a lot about environmental education. It was a natural fit for me being a geographer and because I had studied geomorphology and biogeography, which have, has, is rooted very much in the natural and environmental sciences. And then after the Earth Summit in 1992, Education for Sustainable Development, also known as ESD, came on the scene. ESD was also a good fit for me because it emphasized not only in the environmental sphere of sustainability, but it also included the social and economic spheres, which are part of geography. I started working more in ESD because it was a new field and not well-defined. And that's when I wrote the ESD toolkit with the help of graduate students and input from colleagues, and we published it on the World Wide Web. When there was little content on the web, if you remember um, the World Wide Web in like the year 2000, it was, um, we used to say that there was a lot of sizzle and smoke, but um, where was the content? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> It's amazing to see how much uh, it has grown, you no, know, in terms of information on the on the web, yes. internet access to it. Yes, and how much more dependent we are on it 
for um, learning in our own professional self-development. So the toolkit became popular and I received requests to translate into about 20 languages. And um, I've been in education for sustainable development ever since. So it's, I didn't plan to go into education for sustainable development. In fact, it, sustainability was really not part of the, the lexicon when I went to graduate school, but here I am many years later, deeply involved in it. <laughs> so ESD, Education for Sustainable Development, the reality is that many people do not understand what sustainability or sustainable development is, uh, let alone ESD, Education for Sustainable Development. Could you share uh, with us, what's your take on, on ESD? What is it? What is education for sustainable development for you? And um, how do you differentiate uh, ESD from conventional education and from environment education or from quality education? Really good question. And the answers to those questions keep changing over the years. Because sustainability is an evolving concept, education for sustainable development is also evolving. A decade ago, I described ESD as having five components, knowledge, skills, perspective, values, and issues all related to sustainability or sustainable development. But now ESD has shifted its focus to supporting the 17 sustainable development goals set by the United Nations. Um, and in my own context within my own country, which is the United States, I have been started to describe sustainable sustainability as environmental justice, social justice, and economic justice, and education as focusing on those justices. Also, over the years, I have really come to appreciate that ESD pedagogies are as important as sustainability content and skills for our students to create a better future and to deepen their learning. Um, so how is ESD different from conventional education? I'd say it's because the goals of conventional education were well, are and were to make students successful in a particular time period. I graduated from high school with the knowledge and skills that I needed to be successful in 1970. But in our rapidly changing world, we need to give students the knowledge, skills, and values that they will be successful into the future. That future, unfortunately, is one with fewer natural resources and greater inequalities. So ESD is part of educating for a more uncertain future and includes educating for agency and adaptive competence and compassionate systems. And that's how I think that ESD is different than conventional education. I'd also like to say that ESD is quality education and that we need to not lose sight of that. Um, it, I was involved with a piece of research uh, a number of years ago, I want to say, was it maybe five years ago, where teachers, schools, school districts, and countries have shown that ESD produces academic engagement and behavioral outcomes that are desirable 
and that are characteristic of quality education. And this type of research is really important because ministries of education at national levels, at provincial levels, um, need evidence that ESD is effective before they write it and uh, write policy and promote it. Um, so um, that study was interesting in that we had researchers in 18 different countries all looking at the same five questions. And you can, we can find that article in the Journal of Education for Sustainable Development, Volume 10, Issue 2. And it's um, available uh, at no charge for download around the world. So um, if ESD needs to be taught in our public schools in countries around the world. And therefore, it's important for us to make the case that ESD is quality education. Absolutely. Unless we are able to clarify, at least clarify that ESD can help improve the quality of education, it would be very hard to, to really yeah, make principals of schools, policymakers, um, and education interested in ESD, right? Yes, yes. And to make the case also to the individual teacher. Yeah, that's important on all those levels. So how, how, do, you, how do you argue that ESD can actually help improve the quality of education? Is it because of not only the that ESD has to do with the content on sustainability, but the ESD has a lot to do with a new pedagogy approach to pedagogy? Well, um, let's just look at the the everyday context and and what motivates people to learn and and to teach. Um, children come to school every day knowing that something's not right in their world. For example, they might pass homeless people on their way to school and see the effects of extreme weather events on television. They may experience discrimination themselves or in this pandemic, they may not have enough to eat. And they know the social ills in their neighborhood like drugs, abuse, and poverty also affect the school children going to our schools. So our students arrive in the classroom with all of this knowledge. And we need to be helping learners, students and learners, understand the wider world in which they live. And furthermore, when you ask teachers, today's teachers, why they went into teaching. They say they want to make a positive social impact. So by addressing the environmental justice, the social justice, the economic justice, or the sustainability in the world around us, teachers make a positive impact. So ESD is important to the functioning of our classrooms in our contemporary society. You know, also there's some big and scary um, reports out there, like the reports by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And these reports tell us that we need to cut our carbon dioxide emissions greatly over the coming years, or we will irreparably harm our planet. And this is serious. And the type of change that is called for in those reports requires education at every level. So if we truly do want to create a better future for ourselves and everyone around us on the planet, we need to bring ESD into the classroom. It's very interesting. 
Rosaline, there are so many people who have worked with environment education for so many years. How, can you expand a little bit more in uh, how do you see the synergies or similarities or differences between ESD and environment education? Oh, I would love to chat about that. Thank you for asking the question. So, you know, environmental education has, has really evolved over the years. It sort of started out as local nature study, but it quickly gained an international component. And as you, as we look at how environmental education is practiced around the world, we see this whole broad array of different practices which fit the environmental, social, and economic contexts of different countries. Like in South Africa, environmental education brings a social and economic component to it. And that very much grew out of um, the apartheid era and the immediate post-apartheid era in which um, there was um, cultural, political, educational, societal change. And the curriculum reflected that. In India, environmental education is written into, into the legal framework. And so um, education for sustainable development is called um, environmental education, but it is broader than the very traditional idea of environmental education as being local nature study. And um, so we have seen an evolution of environmental education to be um, broadening over the last couple of decades. And um, environmental education has a much greater um, acceptance in some regions, like in um, the places where I live. And so a lot of sustainability education can be taught through environmental education. I don't think we should get um, focus too much on what we call it, but it should focus more on the good practice of it. That's a good point. Sometimes we get too uh, attached to terminologies, and, but if we can uh, discuss in, the, in further understanding what's behind the different terminologies uh, and be yeah. focus on what does that mean, the meaning of it, right? Yeah. So we, we once had this analogy in which we said that um, whether if you had two ends of a scope and you looked at from the ESD scope at, at it in, to the, towards the environmental education end, you would see sustainability as piece of the environmental education pie. But if you looked from the environmental education scope of the <laughs> of the towards sustainable development, you would see environmental education as part of the larger sustainability pie. So it sort of just depends upon which perspective you take, but in both cases, environment and sustainability are there. Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I, I think in, in, at least from a, a the Latin American perspective, uh, environment education was was uh, quite uh, evolved or uh, took found a good place um, in many of the education systems. However, it has always been seen as something as an add-on, something extra. Um, <coughs> environment education. Uh, despite the fact that there are many countries there is actually a law on environment education or is part of the national programs, but it has not uh, made through the, the main avenues or, or it has not really managed to, to be incorporated as a cross-cutting theme across curriculum, but it has always been seen as an add-on or an extra curriculum. Uh, program that that has been one of the challenges yes 
And, and I think that challenge that you described has been seen in many regions of the world. You're right. So uh, let me, let's, let's envision I'm a school teacher or I'm a principal of a school. And uh, you come to me and, you see, and I would like to hear from you, why do you think ESD is important? Uh, why should my school or my, my classroom embrace or work with ESD? How, how would you convince me to do that? Well, if you were a school principal, I would say that every teacher Every discipline can contribute to education for sustainable development. And that I realize that there is a provincial, a state, or national curriculum that you have to follow. But education for sustainable development is very possible while following the mandated curriculum. And that every teacher has within their discipline, an entree into studying sustainability and has good ESD pedagogies that help students foster curiosity and learn to ask questions and to think about systems and to um, inquire into topics and do analysis of them, let's say like spatial analysis, and that everybody can contribute to this with just by changing the goal to teaching about sustainability instead of success in today's current social and economic conditions, but in educating for tomorrow. Um, John Dewey once said that if we educate a child for today, that we rob them of their future, of their tomorrows. And so that sustainability can, education for sustainable, sustain, sustainable development is very much achievable within the current structure. <clears throat> and, you know, actually I would have prepared it so it would be very uh, passionate and enthusiasm generating speech and i'm sorry i didn't um, <laughs> i wasn't able to do that <laughs> i'm sure that didn't sound very inspiring but <clears throat> um i do know from talking to people around the world that people become enthusiastic and passionate about it when they realize that they have a role that they can play it's not just something that is left to the ecology teacher or, mm. you know, hunger to the home economics teacher, but that everybody can contribute. And that is the type of encouragement that people, that teachers and faculty and administrators need to just blossom under this, um, paradigm of education for sustainable development. Sure, yeah, it's, it's a paradigm shift in the way in which mm -hmm. we envision um, you know, a learning environment. Donella Meadows in her book, <clears throat> The Global Citizen, wrote about if you change the goals of an organization or of a man, yeah, yeah, of an organization, then all of the people, all of the tools, all of the machinery can start working towards the new goal, the sustainable development goal, that you don't need to replace the people or the machinery or the tools, you just change the goals. That's wonderful. Um, and how, so Rosalind, how do you envision that being implemented in practice? If we envision a classroom of K-12, primary, secondary schools, or a classroom in a higher education setting and environment, 
how would you envision education for sustainable development being implemented in practice? And if you can share with us some examples. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is an intro. Let me give you an example of an introductory lesson that I teach on the, um, as the first lesson in the online diploma for Education for Sustainable Development um, if from the University for Peace and the Earth Charter Center. So the very first lesson asks you to take a picture of your breakfast and then to list the ingredients and where the ingredients came from. And then um, the student is instructed to look at the, 12, the 17 sustainable development goals that were developed and adopted by the United Nations and talk about the intersection of their breakfast with one or more of the sustainable development goals. Well, this exercise is a lot of fun because we get pictures of breakfasts from around the world. And then people list the ingredients and where they came from. And as they do that, they get this rising consciousness like, oh my goodness, you know, my coffee came from another continent. I wonder how many carbon miles were involved in transporting it to my table. Oh, or my heart chocolate made an equally long journey. And oh, while well, the person in California who had almonds or almond milk for breakfast says, oh, this is a lo local product. The person living in, in Canada goes, oh, wow, the almonds had to come from California. That's a long ways for my, my breakfast to travel to me. And, and then they open up the sustainable development goals that deal with topics like no poverty and zero hunger and clean water and affordable electricity and... <clears throat> and equity and, um, and employment and, and all of a sudden the students see all of these connections from their breakfast to the sustainable development goals. <clears throat> sure, well, that's a very good, uh, very good idea, you know, from something that is uh, in our day-to-day -day life, we can relate uh, these important topics. And so what's interesting about this lesson is, is it then begins to teach interconnections, which is part of systems thinking. So here we have this fun little activity that connects our breakfast to the rest of the world and the future of the world through the sustainable development goals. So from this, we know that ESD can be fun and engaging as well as teach something incredibly important. Hmm. And maybe a, a, a language teacher can, can use this exercise uh, to ask students to, to write a little text, an essay on this. Um, a mathematic teacher could also make use of this exercise to do some calculation of where the distance of products and Yes. of products that are isn't that I can find in our you know breakfast place. Yes, and our geography teacher can have students map on a world map where the ingredients come from. So yes, there are a lot of curricular interconnections. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rosalind. That's very useful. Now, uh, UNESCO is work currently working on the futures of education. It's a sort of a new proposal that will emerge soon, I guess. But uh, I think many of us uh, is also looking at uh, the big changes that is happening in, in higher education or in primary, secondary schools, especially considering the fact that you know, 50 or 100 years ago, we would go to a school to find information. Now we find information in, in the World Wide Web. Uh, we have access to information by, by Googling any, any topic. And uh, therefore, there, there's a lot of change also in the interactions, online learning, and etc. 
So how do you envision the futures of education? What do you think, Rosalind, from your perspective, uh, will be the major changes uh, that will happen in education practice and in the dynamics that happens in a, in a classroom, especially if, we, if you envision uh, changes in the next 10 to 20 years? Okay, so any projection for the future, I think, needs to be grounded in the reality of the moment. And the reality of the moment is that there is tremendous variability in education around the globe. Um, we do not have the same starting point. So describing education of the future cannot be done with a single finish line. Um, for example, in some countries, lecturing is a, is a primary pedagogy. You know, the teacher lectures. Although, although we know that lecturing is not efficient, students retain more from other pedagogies or learning through other pedagogies. And I would hope that in the future, teachers will use a wider variety of pedagogies to reach many types of learners in their classrooms. A problem with, with thinking about um, the future of education is, is that we need to acknowledge the existence of a digital divide. And currently it has a huge impact on education. And we see this during the COVID-19 lockdown. Um, some universities seamlessly transferred to online learning because they already had um, learning platforms in place. And many teachers were using them to teach hybrid courses or using the online platform to support a face-to-face -face classroom. But as you look at what's happening in other areas where both universities and students do not have access to the internet. You're finding that universities are using television and others radio and some are creating packets of print printed materials for their students because internet is simply not an option. So anytime that we dis that we begin to <clears throat> spin scenarios for the future, we need to address the digital divide. And um, so I'm, I must say that um, I think there are a few things that we'd really need to address about the current variability of the status of education as we begin to think about the future. Now, um, in terms of, of things that I hope will become more popular within the next decade. I hope that systems thinking and compassionate systems thinkings um, will become more prominent because they are important to solving problems of today and creating a better tomorrow. Compassionate systems thinking links socio-emotional learning to systems thinking. And we know that empathy that comes from, that is a topic dealt with in socio-emotional learning. Added to systems thinking helps implement sustainability policy on the micro or person-to-person -person level. Um, this is the current leading edge thinking in ESD. Um, and I hope it will become more um, popular and widely used in the future, but I don't know if it will hold true to supporting education in 20 to 50 years. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'm saying, Mary, Miriam, is, is that my crystal ball is really murky. <laughs> it's very difficult. It. Indeed, it's very difficult to envision the future. Uh, <laughs> I think more than ever, we live in uncertain times, certainly. But uh, you made a good point on the need to start by acknowledging the huge uh, di digital device 
but also the cultural differences. Uh, you, you started by saying, well, in some places it's totally normal and it's expected uh, to start a classroom with a lecture, be it uh, from maybe higher education and, and secondary schools. Mm -hmm. I think the point is uh, not to expect that, uh, uh, that learning is limited to, to lecturing. And I think yeah. that's, that's where education has been challenging over the past, many, I would say, the past 50 years. So online teaching, um, you have been involved more and more. Um, it's in online teaching. Uh, I think also it's not uh, written on stone. It's evolving. It's growing. Uh, it seems that online teaching uh, came to stay. Uh, considering the, the current times we live, um, uh, despite the, the huge digital device we live. Uh, would you share with us, Rosalind, what has been your experience uh, in, in online teaching? And how do you think uh, this uh, will, will change uh, in the education learning dynamics? Okay, so I've been involved in online learning since about 2001. Um, at the time, the university where I was working had an online learning platform and I used it to support my face-to-face -face classroom. The syllabus was up on it, um, you know, even though I handed everybody out a syllabus um, for the semester on the first day, you know, sometimes those syllabus get, <laughs> that syllabus gets lost and, and the student needs to see it and it's maybe 11.30 at night and oh, well, fortunately it's online and they can figure out what the reading is for tomorrow in classroom. And also that the neat part about that experience was is I asked people to do their readings ahead of class and just to post one comment online before class started. And what was great about that was is the conversation was already going before they came into the classroom and um, and we could pick up the discussions from there. Um, over the over the last, whoa, I guess two decades, online teaching has has evolved tremendously. Um, I know that twelve years ago when I taught my first, 100% online course, I struggled. I just struggled so much. I couldn't see facial expressions. I couldn't see body language. I was having trouble interpreting how the students were reacting to the content and I could not make on, on the fly adjustments or ask questions of the students because they had a puzzled look and, and and um, all of that was gone. So I was adapting. And now I love teaching online. I see the possibilities rather than the limitations. Um, fortunately, through the Earth Charter Center and the University for Peace, I teach uh, as part of the online diploma in ESD, in which we have participants from oh, five different continents and many different countries. And because we're all on different time zones, it wouldn't be possible for us to um, convene face to face. So to get that incredible diversity of, of, of context and opinion and life experience and professional experience from many different time zones, like 21 different time zones, then <clears throat> we have to do it asynchronously, asynchronously, and we've learned how to do that. Um, I think one of the great things that online learning has taught me is, is that pedagogies and assignments are really, really important. Online learning, unfortunately, went through a very boring phase, which was listen to this video or, or watch this PowerPoint of, of me teaching and then 
you know, post to these discussion forums and then submit your um, assignment as uh, an attachment. And now we're asking people to do some community field work, do some analysis, and then post online about the experience. And um, there is a real richness to the pedagogy that didn't used to exist online. We are now making students in isolation feel as connected as they would be in a face-to-face -face classroom with their peers. And we are now challenging them to go, to leave their computer chair, to go out into their community, to investigate their community, and then report back to us. And um, that is, that, that is very powerful pedagogy. Of course, in saying that, I, I do have to acknowledge that the digital divide exists and that people can be involved in that if they have regular internet access. But we have not, that, that digital divide is still fairly wide and we have to work as a community of nations to narrow that digital divide so that everyone can benefit from these new advances in online learning. Mm -hmm. It seems that um, we can reach more people and people can find a, a space to share with a, a diverse group of people. As you rightly said, uh, the experience has been that uh, just in the, the, sh the, the community of that is that can emerge out, out of uh, online learning. It uh, can be very rich and, and the learning community can exchange quite a lot and the richness comes from, from the, the exchange of the various participants uh, in, in a forum or in an cl online classroom, right? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there is a real richness. Um, once I asked, students to just briefly describe what poverty looked like in their community. And I remember being astounded by the results that we had that came, came in. And I think it was a jaw-dropping experience for everyone online that, that, that year in that particular cohort. Like one woman, um, described a family who was now in poverty because the the father and the husband um, had been injured in war and he was now a wounded war veteran and their major source of income had had dropped and someone else described a child selling toys and candy on a street corner and someone else described how um, a widow had been robbed in her community and she was no longer economically um, independent and she was trying to raise two boys. And just the, the contexts that poverty became exposed to us from around the world was astounding. And without that international online professional learning community, we would never have known the faces of poverty around the world. Mm. And, and then that was, was very sobering to us. Like, wow, this is important. We need to address that. As an educator, I will continue to address this for the rest of my career. Mm. It's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Now, um, values in education. It seems that it's a contested field. Um, many people agree on the importance of making space for values in education, others don't. Um, I would like to, to hear your take on it. Um, how do you see uh, the importance of values, bringing values into education, the role of the Earth Charter? And if you can start by ref reflecting or sharing with us uh, your views, uh, on the importance of bringing sustainability values into education and how do you think this can take place? 
Okay. So several decades ago, the education community approached learning through an objective lens as best practice. The neutral learner, the objective learner, like the, the third party, <laughs> independent third party was a good learner. And now we know that learners bring their social and emotional contexts with them into the learning process. And so this neutral objective learner probably doesn't exist. <laughs> and we now think that connecting to the social and emotional contexts of the individual learner is important. And it's called socio-emotional learning. And values are a big part of that socio-emotional learning context. So addressing values is important. Now, my statement is an oversimplification of, of a deep topic, but it's a simple way to explain that values are important according to the way that the human brain is wired. And I'm sorry, your question was really complex and I think I only answered part of it. Would you please prompt me on the other parts to the question? No, that's totally fine. It, I, I fully agree. Um, the, the, the social emotional dimension of the learner cannot be invisible anymore. Um, it was just uh, overlooked for many years. Yeah. Um, but um, I think that the, this, this question uh, is really on the, on this, I would say, difficult topic of um, incorporating values into education. Uh, oh. uh, can can this take place? Should it should it take place? Um, many people talk about uh, the importance of values um, in, in decision making, and even sometimes into education. But it seems that it's it's a it's a topic that is difficult to grapple with. And so I think mm -hmm. if you can reflect a bit on on this. Uh, yes. This difficult topic of, okay, is it important to bring sustainability values in education? And if so, how, how do you envision this to happen? Yes. Okay, thank you. So, yes, there are difficulties. In my country, parents and school boards get nervous when you teach values outside of, let's say, an approved character education program. I think that this nervousness stems from the fear that you may teach a child or teen a value outside of the parent's value system or the school board's value system. And so this is a legitimate fear <clears throat> that we need to recognize. And then how we approach that fear is important. So the Earth Charter was vetted in, in dozens of countries in every region of the world. So it sidesteps the issue of whose values are you going to teach. These are global values that people hold in common around the world. You know, so the answer then is, is I am going to be teaching an internationally accepted ethical framework. Um, and, and that seems to diffuse the worry, especially if people bother to read the Earth Charter <laughs> as part of that larger worry and conversation. So, um, like much of sustainability, each teacher chooses the values that accompany the curriculum that they teach. And they choose a particular value to emphasize in a lesson or a set of values to emphasize in a curricular unit, depending upon what the state mandates that they have to teach in terms of content. And then they can make the appropriate linkages to the Earth Charter. Um, 
As for your question, how do I think that the Earth Charter can be used? Um, let me talk about my own experience using the Earth Charter on what I call the macro level and the micro level. The macro level, um, at the macro level, personally, I decided to quit accepting invitations that required me to travel, to expend carbon miles, to increase greenhouse gases, and increase my ecological footprint. Um, I just thought with climate change uh, advancing as it is with so much carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases going into the atmosphere that I had to quit adding to that. So um, I decided to move all of my work online. I also wanted to make my work available to teacher educators who did not have the seniority to travel or did not have the, the funds or the funding to travel, who could not afford to go to national or international conferences. I wanted my work to be more inclusive. And so as a result, and, and this value of, of reducing our ecological footprint and not doing harm to the environment and being more inclusive, these values are definitely written into the Earth Charter. And um, as a result of this macro level decision, I took all of my teaching, my workshops, and my plenary talks online. Um, for example, um, over the last couple of years, I have given a plenary talk in Pakistan and one in Nigeria in which I created a uh, PowerPoint with an audio track and then sent it to them and they were able to play it. In, in one case, I was also online to answer questions. And in the other case, um, it, it was um, the time change was such that um, <laughs> it really wasn't possible to, to participate. So um, I was still able to, um, it, to meet the expectations of, of the audience, but with and to be more inclusive um, without increasing my ecological footprint. And so that was all guided by the Earth Charter. And then on the micro level, <clears throat> as a teacher, I decide in every lesson which values I want to teach. Um, many years ago, I created something called the Project Y exercise. And it's a planning tool for teachers in which the um, teacher decides what sustainability-related knowledge, skills, perspectives, values, and issues, or SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, they want to teach in a lesson or a unit. And this tool helps teachers to systematically weave sustainability and values into their curriculum. And if we do that weaving in systematically, even if we teach just like one concept or one value every day, the amount of sustainability that we teach in a year and the array of values that we can introduce in our classrooms is really quite large. So um, I see that the Earth Charter guides us on many different levels. Rosalind, can you, thank you so much. Can you um, share a bit more about what is this project? Why? How, how if I'm a teacher or principal in my school and, and I want to learn more, uh, yeah. how, how, how can I use it in my classroom? Okay, so I recommend that you download for free the Education for Sustainable Development source book or go to the www.esd toolkit and click on exercises and you'll find project y there download it and it comes with instructions or um, for the esd source book you go to unesco and then you can go to 
um, resources, click on publications, and then you can search for it. And um, it, it gives you the, the exercise form, and there's a why that you fill out. <laughs> so the why basically is, uh, is like the, yeah. the letter Y, and it has different yes. dimensions or sections. Right. So it has three dimensions, environmental, societal, and economic. And those are the three branches that form a Y. And then you write down what you currently teach in terms of knowledge, skills, values, sustainability perspectives, and sustainability issues or um, SDGs, uh, Sustainable Development Goals. You write down what you currently teach, and then you say to yourself, well, what, what about sustainability could I add to this? And then <clears throat> you write that in. So even if you teach one additional thing every day and you do a project, um, why for all of your lesson plans across the year, at the end of the year, you have a stack of 180 things that you taught about sustainability. Mm -hmm. And it's all related to your discipline. It's all related to your mandated curriculum. So if I'm a teacher of uh, language or um, science or math teacher, I can easily use Project Y to yeah. to see what are the kinds of knowledge skills and values i'm teaching through the content that i'm supposed to teach it's not something that is extra for me right you're exactly right so what we're just doing is is you're you're teaching your mandated curriculum and at the same time you're reaching the sustainable development goals or the goal of educating for a better tomorrow so project wide is basically a way for me to visualize uh, or give more visibility or see better um, how I can incorporate sustainability into my teaching. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a way to systematically approach it. <clears throat> and remember, I have given this assignment to students and I have received things back like um, there was um, an engineering professor and he said that I had always wanted to create, to put more sustainability into my engineering classes, but I didn't know how to do it. It, it just got sort of like big and messy. <laughs> and he said, and this helped me systematically think it through. And thank you. I now have reoriented my entire course. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and I know, engineering is rarely taught in high school. So let me give you a local, another example where um, this year, um, a teacher of, of, it, of Spanish wrote me and she said, oh, this is, the Project Y is a great planning tool. I just sort of wrote out a schedule before for my class that we would do this activity and then that activity and this activity and that activity. But I can see how this helped me, helps me have goals and a purpose for each one of my lessons. And she was able to slide several values into it. And she was also able to slide some skills into her curriculum. You know, these days we're talking so much about being able to communicate clearly the things that we learn. And um, those are the types of skills that ESD calls for. And so she was able to, this project Y helped her think about her pedagogy. It helped her think about the values that she would include. It helped her think about the content and, and, than issues that her community was facing. Like she said, you know, we're a wealthy community, but we have a poor area and there are children who come to school hungry. And, you know, now I can address that. And so she was able to systematically think through her curriculum with a sustainability lens. And suddenly she understood how the Earth Charter and the sustainable development goals could inform the work that she gave. And it also helped ground her teaching of Spanish 
um, into the everyday life, and her students loved that. You know, it was, it was gave them concrete examples of how to use Spanish today. So, um, yes, and, and we get that sort of reaction from teachers of many different disciplines. Mm. Well, it seems that it's a very, very good tool to help uh, teachers uh, from different fields and different levels of education to look at their teaching through the sustainability lens and, uh, and just be more maybe uh, uh, implicit, I would say, in, in what they're doing, more, sh more focus, maybe incorporating uh, sustainability values in what they're doing. So thank you so much for sharing with us, Rosalind, not only project about Project Y, but about your knowledge, your experience, and sharing your reflections uh, about this important topics uh, of our times. Uh, we, we do need to think very carefully in, in our education practice and in the importance to reorient education uh, towards uh, a better future and to see education as an instrument of social transformation. So thank you so much, Rosalind, for um, being here with us today. I'm sure um, this recording will be of great uh, usefulness for many of our audience. Thank you. Well, thank you, Miriam. It was really, um, I greatly appreciate that you invited me to be part of this series. And I really um, wish you and the other people at the Earth Charter Education Center a very happy 20th anniversary to the Earth Charter. And um, I wish you continued good fortune in spreading um, the, the word about the importance of values to education around the world to create a more sustainable future for us all. So thank you for your hard work. Thank you. If you like this episode, please share it and support our movement by making a donation. This podcast is developed by Earth Charter International as part of our work as UNESCO Chair on Education for Sustainable Development with the Earth Charter. For more information, visit our website at earthcharter.org.